you know what? It's really fun to be here. What's up, what's up, what's up? How are we doing? How are we doing? And welcome to episode number 45, the season one finale of the Banner Banter Podcast. I'm your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. Thanks so much for tuning in. Just want to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, especially my mom, Joe Cool, and my sister, aka Sister Goose. My sister is also expecting her second child in June, so early congratulations to her. And my mom's birthday is actually on May 17th, so happy birthday to Joe Cool. All right, we have a lot to talk about, and I know I've said that a lot every single episode, but I promise you, this is the most we'll have to talk about in a long time. Now, because I say it's a season one finale, I just want to let you guys know I'm going to be doing another Banner Banter podcast, episode 46, on Monday, June 24th. That will be a couple days after the NBA draft, because a lot of things can happen after the NBA draft with trades and stuff, blah, 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 blah. Then, probably on the... Last Monday of July, I don't know the date off the top of my head, I will do a free agency type recap of a podcast for episode 47, and then episode 48, kind of right before Labor Day, just kind of say hey, see how everyone's doing, catch up on some news and notes for the Celtics, and then the Monday after Labor Day, not the Monday, which is Labor Day, but the Monday after, we will start season well, I guess we'll already be in three or four episodes in, but we'll really start going for episode, I think that will be 46, uh, 49, to start the 2019-2020 
NBA season for the Boston Celtics. So that's a breakdown. And before I get into that, I need to thank each and every single one of you. Thank you so much for listening. My friend Maddie and a couple of my other friends texted me and said, why don't you do a podcast about the Celtics? You already have a NASCAR podcast. And by the way, if you guys like the NASCAR podcast, go to WROR.com slash WickedFast or BPodStudios.com and check out the Wicked Fast podcast. My good friend Brian Bell and I, we talk NASCAR every Wednesday. We've had about 125, 126 episodes, but I digress. But I need to thank each and every single one of you. The Boston Celtics mean the world to me. They're one of the most important things in my life. They literally, every single time I'm in Section 315, Row 15, Seat 7 and 8, by the way, rest in peace, Seat 8 which will now be six and seven, I'm at home. Like, I feel everything's okay. Even if the Celtics lose, I I feel like I'm a, a step closer to heaven where I know my dad is, who was a diehard Celtics fan. And I hate to get emotional like this, but you guys have no idea how much you mean to me. I mean, by the end of this episode, well, I should say before episode 46 comes out, I'll have close to 5,000 listens to this podcast. The fact that people want to listen to me talk about the Celtics means the world to me. So thank you all very, very much. Like, for real. Thank you so, so much. Like, I love each and every single one of you. Even if I don't know you, I love you. And I appreciate you listening to this podcast. And if you guys want some more heartbreak, well, (laughs) let's recap game one. Yeah, that's right. We're going to recap game one. Recap game five. Yeah, we're going to do it. We are going to recap game number five of the second round of the Eastern Conference semifinals that the Celtics lost 116-91 to the Milwaukee Bucks. And let's just, overall, let's just start off, you know, like my five keys to the series. I'm going to give you guys the totals of what happened and why I thought, hey, you know what, this could have made a difference, okay? And then we'll really break down game five. And what I mean by that, I'm going to talk very angrily about it, and then we'll move on to the offseason. We'll do some team grades i'm gonna give grades out to every single player you know like c is for cookie no i'm kidding i'm not gonna do any sound bites like that i probably should have now that i thought about it but that would have been a waste of your time and my time as well but the five keys to the series pace points in the paint turnovers free throw attempts and rebounding those are the five keys right off the bat pace wasn't that big of a deal in the series it was pretty even all around i think the celtics probably played a little quicker than they wanted to but the Bucks played at their pace and I was trying to hopefully maybe get two or three possessions less out of them and it just didn't work out because obviously the Celtics couldn't hit the ocean if they were standing in it in games four and five but so pace whatever I thought it was going to be a little bit different it wasn't I was wrong I have no problem admitting that rebounding I was actually kind of thrilled with the way the Celtics rebounded. The Bucks got 254 total rebounds Celtics got 241 total rebounds they lost by 13 total rebounds. You average that out over five games. Let's just say that's about three rebounds a game. And that's fine because the Bucks are a much better rebounding team than the Celtics are and ever will be. So I'm okay with that. So pace I'm okay with. I was wrong. And they lost the rebounding battle, but they they were basically even with them in my eyes. I mean, if you lose the rebounding battle, kind of like, I think they lost the rebounding battle in game five by a shitload, to be honest with you. What was the grand total? 48. Yeah, they lost by 10. So if you actually think about it, they were basically, they lost by, th- yeah, they were three e-bound, three rebounds away from being even through the Bucks for the first four games. So I'm content with that. Just the last game, they couldn't hit anything, so that gave the Bucks more opportunity to do so. So I'm okay with pace. I'm okay with rebounding. 
This is where I get really angry. Free throw attempts. The Bucks had 138 free throw attempts throughout this entire series. The Celtics had 131. The Bucks missed 42 of their free throw shots. 42! That's insane! They missed 42 free throw shots. The Celtics only missed 22. The Celtics got outscored in this entire series by 45 points. If you combined all five games, they got outscored by 45 points. You, you hit like 10 of those three throws, maybe even 15 of those free throws. Guess what? It's now a 30-point series. So the Celtics, you know, they went to the line. They, I think they went to the line, I think, over 30 times in back-to-back games. I think in game four and game five, they went over 30 free throw attempts. I'm cool with that. But, like, they missed 20. Like, if the Bucks mi- made, like, 15 more free throws, then this series would have been over way quicker than we all thought it would have been. Like, I thought it was going to go at least six, whether the Celtics were winning or the Bucks were winning. But, my God, that, that one hurts a little bit. Turnovers, they lost that one, too. I mean, 65 for the Celtics, 57 for the Bucks. Again, not the end of the world. I thought it was, when I was doing the turnovers, like, the the count of each game I thought it was going to be a lot worse but I forgot the Bucks had a couple games where they had 15 or 16 turnovers and uh, it just it just sucked in plain English it really did but it's okay it's okay the turnover battle pretty even rebounding pretty even pace it is what it is free throws anger and then this is where you get absolutely furious and you want Danny Ainge to do anything in his power to get Zion Williamson or someone to score in the post or in the paint for the love of God because the Celtics got outscored by 50 points in the paint. That is 25 shots. 25 shots. The Bucks made 25 more shots in the paint. 222 points. Over five games. 222 points over five games. I don't even know what that average is out to, but let's find out. That's 44 points a game in the post. 44! They scored 44 points. I just sounded like a non-puberty or someone who hasn't hit puberty DMX dog. Like, instead of... Anyway, sorry. That was... Sorry, but the Celtics scored 172 points in the post, in the paint. The Bucks 222. That's the difference in the series. The Celtics lost the series by 45 points. Okay, they got outscored by 45 points. They made 20 more free throws, but they lost points in the paint by 50. Wild, absolutely wild. If if you think about it, if the Celtics just made 20 more points and 10 more, like 20 more points in the paint and 10 more free throws. You know, each game's close and confidence wavers. The Celtics could handle adversity differently and it might have been a different series. But wow, just just wild. Absolutely wild. Man. All right, let's recap game five. And don't worry, I'm only going to go to the third quarter because I'm pretty sure I blacked out at that point. Not even like with alcohol, just like mentally, like, ugh, gross. But I thought it was good that Brad came out with a different starting lineup. I really did. You bring Morris to the bench, more scoring off the bench, more energy off the bench with him and Smart, and it it showed, obviously, in the first quarter when Smart and Morris came out because the Bucks started the game with a, an 8-0 run without Giannis even taking a shot. 
Giannis didn't take a shot, 8-0 run. Kyrie missed two shots and had a turnover during that run. And the Celtics' defense, I thought, was pretty good early. I thought they created a wall for Giannis. It was very tough for him to get to the paint. And all their shots were contested. They did a great job switching or fake switching or whatever the case may be. They kind of threw out a couple zone looks over at the Bucks, and they were kind of confused by that. So I thought the defensive scheme that Brad Stevens set up in this game was lovely. I, I thought it was great. I really did. And I think... Boosenhoser, Rowan Gardner, whatever the coach's name is, who did a great job. He really did. If you look at, I'm not going to get into it because I hate when people bring up Isaiah Thomas. Oh, and by the way, let me just say this right now. If you're one of those people that thinks that Isaiah Thomas can come back to the Celtics and change what's going on with this team, please email me at bannerbanterpodcast.gmail.com. I'd love to know why. I'd love to know why. But anyways... The defensive scheme that Brad Stevens set up, I thought was so good that I think Boosenhoser, Rowan Gardner, thought that it was so good that he made Eric Bledsoe, after every made Celtics basket, to push the ball up the court as fast as possible so the Celtics defense couldn't get set, especially in that first and second quarter. It made a huge difference because when the Celtics defense was set, the Bucks sucked. I mean, that's plain English. Sure, they got a couple open shots with some great ball movement and some mental mistakes by the Celtics, but overall... When the Celtics' defense was set in Game 5, the Bucks couldn't execute. I mean, that that's serious. Like, sure, they shot 44% from the field and 31 from 3, which which is average for the Bucks. But with being at home in a closeout game, you know, Brooke Lopez went 0 for 7. You know, Middleton didn't have that great of a game. He was 5 of 15. They were making them take some real tough shots. So I was content with that. And especially when the defense really ramped up, like I said, when Morris and Smart came back. Stand by your man, and wow, you should be the leader of this basketball team, Marcus Smart. Let me say that again. Marcus Smart, him and I have had a rocky start to our relationship, but we have come together as one and have really started to figure this thing out. And Marcus Smart should be the captain of the Boston Celtics. Not Kyrie Irving. If it's going to be Al Horford, fine. But Marcus Smart needs to be the heart and soul of this basketball team like he always is. And it showed why in Game 5 when him and standby man Marcus Morris came out. Things changed. I mean, Marcus Smart got two offensive rebounds right away. Changed a lot of things. And the Celtics scored on those. It was fantastic. There was even a whistle. Um, Bledsoe, it was a foul midcourt, and Bledsoe went up for a layup. And Marcus Smart, full steam ahead, didn't care about his oblique, went up and stuffed the crap out of Eric Bledsoe. The block obviously didn't count, but it counted in my heart, if that matters to anyone. But yeah, it was it was absolutely crazy. But the thing that really, really made me angry is when Giannis went to the bench, the Celtics gave up a 12-0 run. And during that 12-0 run, Kyrie, there was four or five times in this game where Kyrie just never got back on defense. He didn't run back at all. It was infuriating. Absolutely infuriating. And, like, in the first quarter, Kyrie was a minus five, two of nine, zero boards, zero assists, and the Celtics were only down three. And it's funny because after Kyrie missed one of his threes, he wouldn't run back, and guess who hit a three right in his face? George Hill, who was 50% from three in this game. He was three of six. George Hill destroyed the Celtics in this series. Giannis was great. Middleton was great. Bledsoe was up and down. I thought Bledsoe was pretty good in this game, in Game 5. But I don't care about Ilyasova. I don't care about Brogdon coming back, even though I think Brogdon's going to be huge for the Bucks once he gets 100% healthy with well, no matter who he plays, whether that's for the uh, against the Bucks 
I'm, uh, I'm sorry, against the Raptors or the 76ers. And looking at the score right now, because I am recording this on a Sunday night. Wow. Philly's up three with two and a half to go in the second, and they were down like seven or eight points. So Kawhi Leonard must have come out of the game for the Raptors. But anyways, so then, you know, you're saying to yourself, hey, we played that bad. Celtics are only down three points going into the second quarter. So you feel content and happy about it. And next thing you know, they start off the second quarter on an 11-0 run. For some odd reason, Brad put a lineup of Rozier, Kyrie, Brown, Tatum, and Baines. Offensively, you're like, hey, that's pretty good. But the Bucs are a very good defensive team. And I think that was something that not a lot of people really focused on in the series. The Bucs have one of the top three best defenses in, in the league, like better than the Celtics overall. If you know, if you look at all the analytical stuff, and obviously they're very long with Lopez and Miritich and Ilyasova and Middleton. I mean, Middleton's a long, lengthy guy, just like Giannis. I mean, obviously Eric Bledsoe is a little bit at a disadvantage, but they're a very good defensive team, and that showed. But you can't have Baines, Rogier, Kyrie Brown, and Tatum because Baines is the only one that knows how to play defense. Sometimes Jalen Brown decides to show up, but only if it's against LeBron James for whatever reason. Besides that, Jalen is a reasonable defender. But you can't have Rozier and Kyrie in the backcourt. Kyrie's not trying. Rozier's halfway out the door. And we'll get into Mr. Terry Rozier in a, in a bit, let me tell you. And Tatum, I mean, Tatum can't play defense. I think we can all agree with that. But then once Brad realized, hey, I made a mistake here, I'm not saying that's the reason why the Celtics lost by any way, shape, or form. Excuse me. By that that one little lineup. Obviously, I had to do one more prep before you know the season finale ended. But... Once that came back, I mean, sure, the Celtics lost by 10 points in that second quarter. But they played good defense for about nine minutes of it. I mean, they really did. They just they, they just couldn't hit a shot. You know, people always say, good defense leads to good offense, dot, 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 unless you were the Boston Celtics in the 2019 season. Because the Celtics played great defense, but they they sucked offensively. I mean, they shot 31% from the field overall. 17%. 17.9. And you know what? I'm not even going to be generous and round it up to 18. 17.9% from three. That's a joke. That's embarrassing. Steph Curry could do that one-handed, blindfolded. I guarantee you. It was so, so embarrassing. And speaking of embarrassing, the last 60 seconds of that second quarter was the Celtics season in a nutshell. If you were to describe to me, or if someone came up to me and said, hey, Timmy G, host of the Banner Banter podcast, what would you describe the Celtics season like? I would show them the clip where Giannis traveled. I mean, it was a travel. I even think Bucks fans would admit it was a travel. Okay, that's how much of a travel it was. It was four steps minimal. Like James Harden was even like, oh, wow. I, I would have gotten called for that travel. And... Al Horford lost his mind, Aaron Baines lost his mind, Brad Stevens lost his mind, everyone lost their mind to the point where Eric Bledsoe is smiling and clapping. If Eric Bledsoe is now getting in your head, you might just fall over and die. And that's basically what the Celtics did. That was unbelievable. <sighs> Literally, everyone lost their cool. Everyone wasn't cool. They weren't calm. They weren't collected. No leadership. And I was expecting some leadership from Al, and I understand why Al is upset with the call. It was a terrible missed call. And I understand how much effort and how well, at times, for the most part, Al Horford defended Giannis. And when he sees one of his teammates doing a good job defending him and they, Giannis gets a cop out, I understand why you're mad. But you got to realize the situation that you're in. 
you're on the road of of a closeout game. Like you gotta nut up and shut up. You really do. Third quarter came around. I mean, the Celtics only got outscored by five points. Like it's it wasn't anything crazy. You know, they were timed. I mean, I would say for what eight nine minutes of that third quarter, they were down. 11, 12, 13 points. They cut it down to nine, cut it down to eight. And I kept telling myself, get it to six by the end of the fourth quarter and you got a shot at this. And they just couldn't do it. They just couldn't do it. And the second Tice came in, I think everything just fell apart because there was what? One possession when they were down 15 or 16 points, maybe with about two and a half, maybe two minutes to go in, in the third quarter. And the Celtics gave up five offensive rebounds. The I think the Bucks took five or six shots in one possession. It was heartbreaking to see it was literally like watching like a varsity versus freshman basketball game it was heartbreaking to see it really and truly was the celtics missed four shots in the paint five missed threes four shots in the paint you make those that's eight points now like the whole you win that quarter the whole game's different if you just hit your bunnies a couple of Mid-range jumpers miss, that's fine. I'd rather see someone take a step in, especially when you're shooting 7 of 39 from the field. I'm perfectly content with all that. And then the fourth quarter came around, and I prayed to the basketball gods, but they wanted nothing to do with me. And to be honest with you folks, this is the last thing I'll say about this season like overall before I break down everything else. I'm glad they went out this way. And, and let me tell you why. Because they tried and then gave up which is what they've done all year. They haven't been able to fight adversity. Whoops, I just hit my little pee protector there where I can pop my peas and it's protected. But they they tried so hard and then gave up so easy. It, it was like Linkin Park was in their head. You know, I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. They didn't even get to that that far part. They just tried and then just gave up. And I didn't want this to be close because imagine if they lost like 116, 113, and they lost within the last 30 seconds. I don't think half of us would be this angry. I don't think half of us, like, would our eyes would be as wide open as they are right now about the future of this of this basketball team. The fact that we could be rebuilding very soon. This whole Nets trade that we, you know, we ripped off the Nets might not be a thing if this doesn't work out. And I'm just glad they went out this way because maybe we overhyped the talent. Maybe we did. Maybe the national media did. Maybe I did. I just thought this team was talented. I thought they had a great run last year in the playoffs. And it's crazy to think that I think this season would have gone so much differently in a better way if the Celtics didn't beat the Bucks in Game 7 at the Garden last year in the first round. Because Terry Rozier's confidence wouldn't have been there. Jalen Brown's wouldn't, confidence wouldn't have been there. Gordon Hayward's expectations wouldn't have been that high. But because of how far they went without Kyrie and Gordon, the expectations got worse. Like, for them. Sure, they got like better for the organization, but worse for the players. And it just sucks. It really and truly does. So that's really all that I have to say about that season as a team. Now I'm going to give out individual grades for each player, okay? And we'll for, and coach. First off, let's start with Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge gets a B plus because first of all, there's a lot of talent on this basketball team, and he did a great job getting it. It just might not have worked out the way that we were hoping for. So he gets a B plus. Brad Stevens, according to him, did a bad job, 
and you can listen to this sound clip of Brad talking about how bad of a job he did this season after Game 5. I'll be the first to say that this is, you know, as far as any other year that I've been a head coach, it's certainly been the most trying. I think I've done a, I did a, I did a bad job. Like, at the end of the day, like, as a coach, if your team doesn't find its best fit together, that's on you. And so um, I'll do a lot of deep dives into how I can be better. And, you know, overall, I'm going to give Brad a B- minus because I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass here, but then also be a little harsh. First off, this is the first time Brad has had to deal with all these different personalities. Every single team that Brad Stevens has has been a bunch of underdogs. I think that's his cup of tea. That's how it works out for him, and that's fine. But obviously, you have to make the proper adjustments in the NBA to deal with some grown-ass men who have ego issues. And Brad couldn't handle that well this year, and he might be able to handle it better well next year. So I'll give him a pass there. But one pass I will not give him on is he has to perform better in the playoffs. He has to be a better playoff coach because as of right now, Brad Stevens is a top five regular season head coach, but he's not a top five playoff coach. And that has to change. So I think there's a little bit of pressure on Brad Stevens. Should Brad Stevens be on the hot seat? Absolutely not. If you think that way, no. No, no, no. Email me at bannerbrancherpodcast.gmail.com and tell me why. Like you're the Backstreet Boys, but stop. It's it's not happening, okay? Now we're going to start with the players. We're going to do by numbers. We're going to go lowest to highest. So we'll start off with Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum, in my eyes, gets a B-. I thought... There were times he was great, but overall, I was expecting more of a jump from year one to year two. You want to say Kobe Bryant ruined him? Uh, Sure. Whatever. That's on you. I just hope Jason Tatum bulks up, takes the ball to the hoop more because he did that a lot in the Pacer series and it worked out for him. Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown gets a C+. Jalen Brown took things way too personally to start the year. And I understand. Should Gordon Hayward have started right away? Probably not. But for you to be that butthurt about it right away and have it affect your play, that's on you. And Jalen Brown did issue an apology to Celtics fans afterwards, and I thought at the end of the season, I thought that was great. I thought that was really cool of him, and he said how much he grew up over the season. And Jalen was great in the playoffs. He really was. It was just that first part of the season, he sucked before the All-Star break. He was not good. Sure, a couple good games here and there, but who doesn't have that in the NBA? Obviously, I'm, I'm hoping he learns how to pass the basketball this summer, but Jalen Brown gets a C+. Plus, like... If, if it wasn't for the playoffs, he would have gotten a much lower grade. But he did a great, great job in the playoffs, especially in the Bucks series, so I will not take that away from him. Brad Wanamaker. Brad Wanamaker gets a C-. At times, he looked like Shane Larkin 2.0. At other times, he looked like a deer in headlights. You know, I think Brad Wanamaker can be a great backup point guard. And he might have to stay on the team. And to be honest with you, I hope he does because... Who knows what's going to happen? Kyrie could leave, Terry could leave, and then your point guard's Marcus Smart, and you might need someone who can run an offense a little bit better for a short period of time, and I think Brad Wanamaker can do that. I mean, he was a rookie this year. Sure, he's been in over in Europe, and he's played in the G League, and blah, 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 but it's it's obviously different in the NBA, so I'm, I'm, I'm content with Brad Wanamaker this season, and I hope he gets a better shot next season, and he sticks around with the Celtics. Kyrie Irving. I'm going to give Kyrie Irving, and we're going to talk about Kyrie. Don't worry, guys. I know we got about at least another 20 minutes of this podcast, so get cozy. But I'm going to give Kyrie three different grades, okay? And, hey, Timmy G, why three different grades? It's my podcast. I can do what I want, okay? Leadership, he gets a D-. 
gets an absolute team minus. And the only reason why I didn't give him an F is because he apologized to his teammates when he knew he was going to be a sucky leader, which I think is an important part of leadership. So Kyrie Irving gets D minus on leadership. Regular season, he gets an A. Like, no questions asked. He had a career year. And anyone says he doesn't fit in Brad's system. Kyrie Irving, shooting-wise, from three-pointer, two-point, more assists, more points, a career year. So I'm cool. Most 10 assist games in one season, a career year for Kyrie. Regular season why he gets an A. Okay? No questions asked. On the court, Kyrie gets an A. Off the court, D minus. And then in the playoffs, he gets a C. The Pacers series, he was pretty good the first three games. And then game four, he was great. And then game one of the Bucks series, he was great. Game two, he was reasonable. And then three, four, and five, he sucked, and that's why everyone hates him. Okay? So that's that. Terry Rozier gets an F. Never play for the Celtics again. Okay, moving on. Marcus Morris, stand by your man. I have stood by Marcus Morris all season. He gets a B plus. He was the most consistent player on this team in the playoffs and in the regular season. I understand in March, like right after the playoffs, he kind of got into a cold streak. Not a lot of people were happy with him, but that's fine. That happens to players. He recovered, and he was great in the playoffs, and you can't say differently. He was great in the playoffs. I mean, early in the season, he was on pace to do 50-40-90, which not a lot of players have done. So Marcus Morris plays hard every night. Stand by your man. He gets a B plus. Gordon Hayward. He also gets three different grades, too. Again, because it's my podcast, and I can do what I want. When Gordon Hayward looked good, A+. plus. Like, all-star level, holy guac. Oh, it's halftime, and now the Raptors are up four. Wow, things get crazy. All right, Gordon Hayward, A+. When he looked good, he looked real good. Like, you saw that it was there. When he looked lost, I'm I'm only going to give him a C- minus because he was taking good shots. It's not like he was forcing things, and he's a great facilitator, and a lot of people forget about that. So when his shots weren't falling, he was trying to make the team better, and I understand he can't, he's not as quick, Obviously, a lot of wear and tear on him this year. Obviously, his um, endurance really wasn't where it was or where he wanted it to be. So he, when he looked bad, it was like C-minus bad. But when he looked good, it was A-plus. But I'm going to give him a D on leadership because he is a veteran on this team. He's been in the league, what, if you Baines is probably the longest, and then Horford, and then Morris and then Hayward, and then Kyrie. So he's got like the fourth most treads on on the tire, if you will. And he should have told Brad four or five games in, hey, bud, or hey, dad, or hey, best friend, whatever the hell he calls Brad, I'm not right. Put me on the bench. Let me slowly get into this. And he didn't. And I understand why people are angry about that and why people are disappointed about it. But Gordon Hayward's going to be fine. Is he going to be an all-star again? I don't know. Are we going to be upset about his contract? Sure. But, like, you can't blame Danny, Brad, the organization, or Gordon. Because if he never got hurt and he was putting up all-star numbers, we wouldn't have that conversation. It was one of the most gruesome injuries in NBA history. And if I remember correctly, Paul George wasn't an MVP candidate until, oh, yeah, this season after everything happened with him. A year and a half later. And now it's about a year and a half later for Gordon Hayward. So this season, this upcoming season, 2019-2020, Gordon Hayward has a lot of pressure on him. And I will be the first to do that. And I'm, you guys know I'm a Gordon Hayward fan. Daniel Tice gets a D. 
If you're back, cool. If you're not, thanks. Thanks for coming out. At times, I was happy for you. At other times, I oh, I was not happy with you. RJ Hunter, he gets an incomplete, but he did have the very nice game against the Washington Wizards the last game of the year where he scored 17 points. If the Celtics need someone on the low for super cheap, don't be surprised if RJ Hunter's on this basketball team next year collecting dust on the bench. Yershon Yabaselli. He gets a C minus only because of weird Celtics Twitter memes. Because the memes about Yabaselli on weird Celtics Twitter folks are hilarious. They're great. I love them. I really do. I think they're delicious, delightful, and entertaining. And there were times where Yabo probably showed that he deserved more than five minutes a game in the NBA, sure. But no more than eight minutes. There were some times where, you know, he does, he he looked good, and other times he did not. So the Celtics have some decisions to make, and I'm going to get into that real quick. And I only got a couple more grades to go, and we're going to talk everything Kyrie, salary cap this summer. It is going to blow your mind. Get a bottle of vodka. Get some Advil. If that's not your cup of tea, get some Oreos. Get a glass of milk. Get cozy. And you might want to take out a pen and paper and maybe a calculator. Because it's going to get real crazy in here. Okay? So Yabaselli gets a C-. Marcus Smart, B+. Marcus Smart, I was never the biggest fan of his. More of a love-hate relationship. Like when he was good. When he did good things, I loved him. But it wasn't as much as I wanted it to. So I hated him more than I loved him. And uh, when he got inserted into the starting lineup in November, this team changed around. And he he's the heart and soul of this team. And this was the best shooting season of his career. I don't want him to get too cocky about it. So he gets a B plus. Semi Ojale gets a C. I really can't complain because he didn't get really a chance, but he did shoot the three ball from the corner very well this season. So I'll give him props on that. And then you have Al Horford. Al Horford also gets three grades because again, it's my podcast and I can do what I want. Leadership and professionalism, A plus. In 20 years, I want to know in Al Horford's book that he writes called I don't know. Cool is the other side of the pillow. I want to know what his thoughts are on Kyrie Irving. Not a lot of people ask him about Kyrie. What are his thoughts? Does he just want to knock Kyrie out and just be like, shut up, this is my team. I'm the leader. You're like, look at me, I'm the captain now. Or does he like like him? I'd love to know, but no one will we'll never know. Obviously, you're a little concerned about his health. There should be some times where he takes his, you know, tells Brad, hey, Brad, take me out. But I get it. You're in the game in the moment. You don't want to. So his health, I'll give him a C. And his consistency, I'll give him an A. So I think overall, well, technically this is now four grades. I'd give Al Horford an A- minus this year. Al Horford's good, guys. He's good. All right? And then Time Lord. Time Lord also gets three grades because why? It's the Time Lord. Hype, A+. Like, the hype is real. Defensively, A-. minus. Hype is real. Real good. Offense, F. He looks completely clueless out there. He looks like Alicia Silverstone as F. Like, completely clueless out there. Like, wild how clueless he looks. Absolutely wild how clueless he looks. All right. This is where things are going to get real deep, real quick. So, I'm going to play some soothing music for now to calm everyone down. And then we're going to get into a little salary cap little summer plans action for the Boston Celtics, and I'll give you a quick NBA draft preview, and then we'll be done. So I'm going to just take a quick little moment right now, so bear with me.
Okay, folks, here we go. What do the Boston Celtics do this summer? Do you want Kyrie back? Do you not want Kyrie back? I bet you 75% of you are saying, no, I don't want him back. While you're driving in your car, listening in the shower, whatever the case may be, wherever you listen to this fine podcast, thank you for listening. Do you want him back? I understand why people are, why 75%, why the 75% are saying no. It makes a ton of sense. Didn't perform in the playoffs. Bad leadership. His attitude is so weird. He could, and then there are already reports out that he wants to go and play the Lakers. You could literally argue that Kyrie Irving has an opportunity to be the most hated Boston sports athlete ever. Like, ever. If he goes and does all this stuff, I you know, plays in the empty TD Garden, says he wants to have his number retired with his dad, you know, you know, playing basketball with his dad, and he wants to be a Celtic for the rest of his life. Blah, 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 blah. All this crazy stuff. I, okay. I, I get that. But I need you to just take your anger back a little bit, okay? Now, I'm negative Nancy, so I'm trying to be positive Perry right now, okay? I know a lot of people are trying to make me be positive in life, and it's tough for me. It is tough. But let me tell you why you aren't thinking straight, okay? Number one, Kyrie Irving had a career year this year. He really did. And you can't argue me. You can't argue that he didn't have a career year. During the regular season, everyone was saying, I'm trying to say this right way. Everyone had no issue with Kyrie. Minus the leadership. Basketball-wise, eye test on the court, Kyrie was the guy. Okay? Over Kyrie's career, he averages 22 points a game, three boards, five assists, 46% from the field, 39% from three, 87% from the free throw line. This year, in 67 games, I don't mind him taking 15 games off. You know, he had a couple injuries, fine. That happens at CNBA. 23.8, so that's one more basket a game. More rebounds at 5.0. He had a career high in steals this year as well, okay, which is bananas. 1.5 steals per game. His closest was 1.1, so clearly he played better defensively. And... Basically, seven assists a game, 6.9. So about assist and a, one and a half assists more. He shot 48.7% from the field, which is 2% higher than his career average. And his three-point percentage was up a full point two. And then, obviously, his free throws were about the same. Okay? He had four bad games in the playoff, guys. Okay? He had four bad games. Okay? In the 2015-2016 NBA playoffs... At the age of 25, Kyrie right now, I think, is 26. Yeah, he's 27. So when Kemba Walker was 25 years old in the playoffs, he averaged, where is it? I just had it, 22 points a game. He shot 36% from the field and 32% from three. Do you think the Charlotte Hornets wanted to get rid of him? And by the way, everyone wants Kemba Walker right now. That's the new hot take. If Kyrie ain't coming, go get Kemba. So you guys want someone who equally sucks in the playoffs, like he did this year, just two years younger. And sure, he's been there before, but the guy had four bad games. And you want this dude, Kemba, to show up with equally bad numbers during a playoff run? Guys have bad shooting games, okay? If this, if the Celtics lost in seven games and Kyrie dropped 25-10 and 10 in each of those games, 
No one is saying everything. Everyone's going to blame Gordon. Everyone's going to blame Terry. Everyone's going to blame Brad. Everyone's going to blame Marcus Smart. Whoever. Kyrie's an easy target. Sure, because he talked a lot. But you take away the BS media stuff, and I said this all year. If Kyrie Irving talks the way that Tom Brady talks to the media, no one has an issue with Kyrie Irving. It's a fact. And yes, I understand Kyrie does. And that sucks. But you want to get rid of this dude who just had a career year, his best season of his career, because he shot poorly against the Milwaukee Bucks in the second round? That's what you guys want to get rid of him? Because I don't think you beat the Indiana Pacers without Kyrie Irving. I don't think you're the four seed with Kyrie Irving this year. If you're much worse, 76ers were better, the Raptors were better, the Bucks were better. If Victor Oladipo was better, you'd, you wouldn't even have home court in the first round. Sure, it took a little bit for everyone to gel, but don't blame that on Kyrie. Okay? You blame that. I've been from day one. You blame that on the young guys. You can blame that on Brad. But you don't blame Kyrie for a crappy regular season when he had a career year. Now, you want to argue that Kyrie isn't a true number one guy in the NBA? Fine. Is he Dame Lillard? Is he Paul George? Is he LeBron, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry? Fine. I won't argue with you there. High five. We got you there. But let me ask you this. If Gordon Hay- uh, if Kyrie Irving does leave, and then Terry Rozier does leave, and Marcus Smart is your point guard, are you content with that? Because I'm telling you this right now. Kemba ain't coming here. Okay? And the, the free agents that are available at the point guard position are going to drive you absolutely bananas. Ricky Rubio. Derek Rose. Terry Rozier. Like, guys, there aren't good people out there. They're not. I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry to tell you that. The point guard crop is not good. Free agent-wise, I mean, you want George Hill? George Hill's gonna be a free agent. I mean, he just smoked us. So if we're gonna base base it on this series, we should have George Hill and not Kyrie Irving. I know that's a stupid argument, but sometimes you need to be stupid to bring people back to life because we're talking about getting rid of a once in a lifetime talent, a future NBA Hall of Famer, all over four basketball games. Four basketball games. Okay? So let's break this down. Okay? Let's just break it down. Players who have guaranteed contracts for the 2019 2020 season are Gordon Hayward at $32 million. If you just threw up, I'm sorry. Marcus Smart at 12, Tatum at 7, Jalen Brown at 6 million, Yabo at 3 million, Time Lord at 2 million. Then you have $92,000 in dead cap space for Demetrius Jackson. Yeah, this is where you got to get your calculator out, folks, okay? And then you have at least three rookie contracts. That could change to four if the Memphis Grizzlies get the ninth pick, which I'll explain in a little bit. So you have one rookie contract that will be 3.5 mil, another that's 2.5 mil, and another one that's worth 2 mil, okay? Now, you have player options. Al Horford, Aaron Baines, player options. Okay? Kyrie Irving, player option. What a player option means, for those of you that don't know, is a player can decide to stay with the team and keep, you know, a reasonable amount of money in their wallet or leave the team and go make more money elsewhere. Except for Kyrie Irving. Okay? Kyrie Irving can re-sign with this basketball team for $49 million more than any other team. And I'll break that down in a little bit. So then, what about Rogier and Marcus Smart? Terry Rogier is a restricted free agent. Marcus Smart 
is also a free agent. And a restricted free agent means if the Orlando Magic want to offer Terry Rozier $15 million a year, the Celtics are allowed to match it. Where like Marcus Morris isn't a restricted free agent, but if the Magic want to offer him $15 million, sure, the Celtics can do it, but I'm trying to say this the right way, but the Celtics aren't forced to try and match with Marcus Morris. So that's that's the difference. Like Terry Rozier, his career is really up to the Celtics where Marcus Morris, his career is really up to himself, okay? But let's just say, for example, your cap hold for Terry Rozier is $9 million and your cap hold for Marcus Morris is $10 million. So that's $19 million, okay? For example, just for example, okay? So keep that in mind. $19 million between those two. Kyrie can resign for $49 million, more than any other team. He can get a five-year, $189 million deal, which means the Celtics will keep him until he's about 31 years old. It will be $32 million, $35 million, $37 million, $40 million, and then in his fifth year, he would make $43 million at the age of 31. That's a buttload of money. I mean, it's not Mike Trout money, but it's a buttload of money. If he signs with another team, Kyrie will only get, I think, $140 million. It's like 32 34, 36, and 37, and that's only a four-year deal. Now, the reason why the Celtics can do that is because of bird rights. And bird rights, I've explained this plenty of times before, and the reason why is you can sign a player for more money, and it doesn't affect your cap because you have his bird rights. And the Celtics were very lucky that the Cavs gave those bird rights over to the Celtics to re-sign Kyrie. I think that's another reason why Danny Ainge pulled off that trade. Okay? Are you guys with me? Okay? So you got guaranteed contracts for Hayward, Smart, Tatum, Jalen Brown, Yabo, Time Lord, and then at least three rookie contracts. Horford, Baines, and Kyrie all have player options. Rogier is a restricted free agent. Marcus Morris is a free agent. Cool? Great. Let's say Kyrie leaves. He goes to the New York. He goes plays for the Lakers. He goes plays for the Nets. All the teams that are rumored to have him, okay? Horford stays and Baines stays and your cap hold for Rogier and Smart stay. So you bring Terry Rogier back for nine million, you bring Marcus Morris back for ten million. You now have zero cap space to sign anyone else. So it's the team that you have this year minus Kyrie plus three rookies. Are you feeling comfortable about that? I'm not. No, I'm not. And if you're saying that you are, stop. Like look yourself in the mirror and stop. You don't. Okay? So stop. So, let's say Kyrie, Horford, and Aaron Baines walk away. Now you only have $13 million of cap space. Yeah, $13 million of cap space. You're like, well, well, how? Well, how? That's, that can't be possible. Oh, no, 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 it is. If you sign Rogier at 9 and you sign Morris at 10, that's 13, I'm, I'm sorry, that's $19 million. Kyrie's contract isn't guaranteed, so that's off the books. Baines and Horford are. So if you combine what they're making, plus Rogier and Morris, you only have $13 million. So that means you would have to get, if Kyrie, Baines, and Morris, and Rogier, hold on, let me say this again. If Kyrie, Baines, Rogier, Horford, and Morris all leave, then you'll have cap space aside one max free agent. And if you think one max free agent with Hayward, Brown, Smart, Tatum, Wanamaker, Time Lord, and three rookies is going to be better than this year's team, go get checked out because that ain't going to work either. You think that you think 
that if, like, let's say Kemba does come here, and then it's Kemba, Tatum, Brown, Time Lord, and Hayward as your starting lineup, how far do you think that team goes in the East? Not very far. Because then your bench is going to be a bunch of rookies. And I, I, to be honest with you, I'd rather have proven guys, okay? Seriously, I'd rather have proven guys. So going into July 1st, Celtics won't have a lot of cap space to play with, which is fine. But we need to keep an eye out on some very important dates. The first is June 13th. On June 13th, that is when Kyrie Irving and Aaron Baines, their deadline to accept their player option stands. So Aaron Baines, June 12th, is like, hey, I want to make $5.5 million next year. I'm going to stay. Cool. Kyrie says, I'm not going to opt in to my player option. I'm going to test free agency, which means the Celtics can still sign him, of course. So you could lose Irving and Baines June 13th. June 18th, Al Horford has to make a decision if he's going to re-sign or test free agency. Now, if he tests free agency, he could still come back and hopefully give the Celtics a team-friendly deal. Then, by June 29th, the Celtics can offer a one-year deal to Terry Rozier at $4.3 million. <sighs> there is no way in hell that Terry Rozier is going to accept that. It's basically like a team rookie offer where they're allowed to offer it, he's allowed to decline it, but he's still a restricted free agent. But obviously, Danny's going to say, hey, you want this $4.3 million contract? Terry Rozier is going to say no, and then... Danny could either keep him on the team and match another offer or let him be and let another team sign him, okay? And then the Celtics have until July 1st to guarantee Semi Ojale's contract for like $1.5 million or something. So probably come July 1st, you could have Semi, Horford, Baines, and Irving all testing free agency. Oh, and Terry Rozier too could also be testing free agency. So that's five players off the squad. That's a lot, okay? Now, the one good thing that the Celtics could do in the NBA draft, and it'll be very interesting to see how Danny Ainge does this, is the Celtics, in a couple trades they've made over the last couple years, have sent out $2.5 million in cash to save them $3.5 million when it comes towards the luxury tax. And basically what the luxury tax is, folks, is the NBA has a salary cap where each team's allowed to spend like $110 million. But if you want to spend a little bit more and then pay a tax, if you will, and I could break this down for you, but it's basically like one, you know, it's basically one dollar you spend, you got to give back to the league, for example. So if you spend $30 million to over the luxury tax, so if the cap's 140, you spend $140 million, that's $30 million and the luxury tax is at 130, that means you're spending $10 million over that, and I think you have to give the league 20 million. It's like double the dollar. So right now, the Celtics saved themselves about $3.5 million doing that. They could buy a draft pick in the NBA draft. They could literally tell a team, hey, we got $3.5 million. Give us the 15th pick in the draft. They could do that. They really could. Or on July 1st, after the NBA draft, because the NBA draft is Thursday, June 20th, they could get $5.6 million back, and they could use that on Aaron Baines for his player option, so everything's even. So that's a positive. Am I confusing you guys yet? Because I literally feel like I'm blacking out. Now, Jalen Brown has a big decision not only for himself, but the Celtics also have a big decision about Jalen Brown. The Celtics can waive a rookie extension on Jalen Brown so they don't have to pay, have a $19 million salary cap hold in the summer of 2020. 
So basically what that means is when free agency starts on July 1st or whatever of 2020, the Celtics won't be able to offer someone X amount of money, basically $19 million worth, because they'll have a cap hold for Jalen Brown. Now, Jalen Brown, if the Celtics do decide to do this, and Kyrie does stay, so Kyrie stays, they decide to give him a rookie extension contract between Kyrie, Gordon Hayward, and Jalen Brown, the Celtics will have invested $90 million in one season. One season. Gordon will make 32, Kyrie will make 34, and then Jalen will make like 24 or $25 million. So those three players right there, if the salary cap is 110, those three players right there is $90 million. That's not good. So the Celtics have a big decision to make with Jalen Brown, which is another reason why it might be tough to trade Jalen Brown because then the Pelicans could be like, let's say you get traded for Anthony Davis, okay? The Pelicans would be like, wow, we only have Jalen Brown for a year. Do we want to offer him all this money if we don't like him? And then the next thing you know, they traded Anthony Davis for a couple years to go to the Celtics and they only got Jalen Brown for one year. It's very interesting. So let's say you're okay with Jalen Brown making like $25 million, okay? Well, guess what? Jason Tatum's a free agent in 2021, so you're going to not give Jason Tatum any money? So the Celtics are going to have to make a decision this summer. Do you want Jason Tatum or do you want Jalen Brown in your future? And it could be a tough decision because regular season, I'll take Jalen Brown. Playoffs? I'm, I'm sorry. Regular season, I'll take Jason Tatum. Playoffs, I'll take Jalen Brown because Jason Tatum really hasn't showed up in the playoffs. Sure, he had a couple good games. That's a fine and all. So... The Celtics don't have a lot of cap space this summer, guys. If Horford leaves, Baines leaves, Kyrie leaves, they re-sign Rozier and re-sign Morris for cheap. Because I'll tell you this right now, Terry Rozier thinks he's making $15 million. I guarantee you Marcus Morris wants at least 12 or 13 because Marcus Morris only made $5 million this year. So if you put $37 million into Horford, I'm, I'm sorry, Morris and Rozier, that is basically the total of Horford and Baines. And now you have no Kyrie. I don't know if that's worth it. Because Marcus Morris, I think, just turned 30. He's like 29, I think. Or just about to turn 30. So to offer all that money to a 30-year-old that has bad knees, I don't know. That's tough. I mean, I want Marcus Morris on this team. Like, let's... If if the Celtics... This is my dream scenario, okay, guys? This is my dream scenario. If Kyrie... Let me, I'm, I want to make sure I say this perfectly so you guys are perfectly clear what I want. Terry Rozier leaves. Kyrie stays. Horford restructures his contract to $18 million for three years. Plays for two years, and that third year is a team option. So they can let him go or keep him. Marcus Morris gets that other $14 million from Al Horford's original contract, which should be $32 million next season. Sign him for two years third year team option Bane stays and you get rid of Yabo and Semi Ojale so right now you get Terry Horford Morris and Baines so you get three new rookies too so now your team is Kyrie Horford Tatum Hayward Brown Smart Morris Baines Wanamaker Time Lord three rookies I dig it so to answer this question folks If Al Horford leaves and Kyrie Irving leaves, get ready for another rebuild. 
because there is not going to be a number one guy in the NBA that's going to want to say, oh, hey, I think I can win with Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. Do you think Kemba is going to go, hey, the Hornets had nobody. They had no true number two. I'm going to leave to not have a true number two unless Gordon Hayward proves us all wrong next season? I don't think so. So I am team bring Kyrie back. Get Terry Rozier the hell out of here. Terry Rozier saying that he sacrificed more than anyone else did this year is a joke. If Kyrie Irving never got hurt last year, Terry Rozier, the only thing he would have sacrificed is probably the gas that he drove to the garden because he wasn't going to be playing that much. (laughs) Seriously. Terry Rozier got lucky. And Terry Rozier could have performed out of his mind this year. He could have nut up, shut up, and he lost a lot of money. I don't want Terry Rozier on this team anymore. If Jalen Brown says he's matured and he can think clearly now, fine. So be it. We'll see if Gordon Hayward can improve and then, uh uh-oh, hey, Jalen, what if you have to come off the bench again? Okay? So, again, I want the team next year to be Kyrie Irving, Max Steele, Horford on a cheap deal, Morris on a cheap deal, Bain stays, you get rid of Yabo, you get rid of Shemi, and then you'll have Kyrie, Horford, Tatum, Hayward, Brown, Smart, Morris, Baines, Time Lord, Wanamaker, and three rookies. Yeah, that's what I want. That's that's what I want. Now, do I think Kyrie's going to come back? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't. I don't think he is. I think... I think some of the young guys really, there's so many different scenarios. I think the young guys pissed him off. I think he realized that he can't be a number one and he wants to go play with someone else. So he doesn't have to be the number one. He's more comfortable being the number two or he can't handle all the pressure that he thought he could. I'm just being like for real. So yeah, I want him to come back. I just don't think he will. And that's, and that's that. And if you guys have any questions about the math that I just gave you, but I'll put it to you this way. If Baines leaves, Horford leaves, and Kyrie leaves, don't, don't be a fan wagon and jump off until they get good again because it's going to get dark for a little bit. They might be a seven, six, seven, eight seed in the East because the East is still weak, but it might get bad real quick. It, it might. Like you might have to offer Marcus Morris like $20 million a year. And I love Marcus Morris. Stand by your man. But he should only get like 12 or 13 mil. He deserves to get a good paycheck, but not that much. All right. Before we end this podcast, because it has been a doozy so far. And by the way, I hope you liked the intro. It was a little like an Avengers theme. I tried to. Obviously, I did a piss poor job at it. But I hope you enjoyed the season finale intro. NBA draft, Thursday, June 20th. We actually find out if the Celtics will get three draft picks or four draft picks Tuesday night. Uh, right before the Eastern Conference Finals start, I think it's, I forget if it's at halftime or before the game. But anyways, if the Memphis Grizzlies get selected to pick from their ping pong balls, one to eight, it stays their pick. The Celtics get an opportunity to get their pick next year. Okay? One to eight, Grizzlies pick this year. Then it's the Celtics pick next year. If the Grizzlies get nine to 14, the Celtics have their pick. And that means the Celtics will have four first-round draft picks, which makes the contract situation even more crazy, and I feel like I already gave you a headache. Then, you have the 14th pick with the Kings, and as long, that could be the number two pick. If the Kings get really lucky, the Celtics could literally get the number two pick. So you would have 
the number one, and then the Celtics could get number two. If the Kings get literally the luckiest team on the planet and get the number one pick, that goes to the Philadelphia 76ers. So you don't want that. So two to 14, it becomes the Kings pick. Then you're guaranteed 20, and you're guaranteed 22. Okay? So it's really hard to say what the needs are for this team because you don't know who's going to stay. If Baines and Horford leave, then Time Lord's your only center, so obviously you're going to need a big man. If Horford and Baines stays, but then Kyrie leaves, you're going to need some guards. You know, so it's it's very difficult. So we'll just do best available players. And I think at 14, if you can get Brandon Clark from Gonzaga, I think that's a great pick. He was a redshirt junior, 6'8", 215. He averaged 17 and 8 and had three blocks a game. He's a very good shot defender. I don't, I'm not saying he's Time Lord, but he's a very good shot defender. So keep an eye on that. Then at 20, if he's still available, and I really think he would, you can get Nikolai Alexander Walker, okay, or Naw. Hell, remember that Nappy Boy song? Hell, no. I won't get in a dark hole. I've already held you here for an hour. But you get him at the 20th pick. He's a sophomore guard. He's 6'5", 205, 16 points, four boards, four assists per game at Virginia Tech. And Virginia Tech was nationally ranked all year because of guys like him. He could be your your next like solid bench guy. He could be Shemi, but a scorer. You know, you could trust him. You don't mind that he's on the court, but he could score the ball very well. A lot of people compare him to a Spencer Dinwiddle from the Brooklyn Nets. Perfectly fine by me. A guy that can score. Sure, he's a little streaky with his shooting, but I think that'll be good for the Celtics off the bench because clearly with Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward not performing in the Bucks series because they couldn't score, having a scorer off the bench is key. And then you have Kendall Johnson at the 22nd pick, I think would be good. He's from Kentucky. He was a freshman. He might actually return back to school. So if you guys hear something in the draft saying they didn't hire an agent and then they don't get drafted, they can go back to college. But if they do hire an agent, if they don't get drafted, then they're screwed. So he hasn't hired an agent yet. But Kendall Johnson, I think, could be a really good guy. He sucks at free throw shooting, which means you know Danny Ainge loves him because see. Marcus Smart when he started, C. Jalen Brown when he started. But a lot of people are comparing him to Corey Maggette. Hopefully it's not the big three MVP of this past season, Corey Maggette, but Clippers' Corey Maggette where 6'6", he's a shooting guard. He's bigger than other shooting guards. He can shoot over them, shoot the ball well, loves to attack the basket, super athletic. So those are the guys that I hope the Celtics can get in the draft. Again, no big names, but Danny could trade up with those three first round picks. This isn't a deep draft. This isn't a great draft. Next year's draft is going to be much better, but this isn't a great draft. So that's that. Okay. The next episode will be out Monday, June 24th, and I will recap the draft. There could be a lot of trades happening. Who knows? And keep in mind, guys, if you're on this team Anthony Davis thing, if you want Kyrie to stay and Anthony Davis to come, the Celtics draft picks will have to spark the interest of the New Orleans Pelicans. Keep that in mind, okay? Wow, I just talked for a really long time about the Celtics. My brain hurts, and I hope yours doesn't. But again, thank you guys so much for listening to the Banner Branch Podcast for the first full season of the Boston Celtics that I've been doing. I can't even speak in sentences right now, but thank you guys so much for listening. I really, really Really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to talking to you guys for the NBA draft. I love the NBA draft, guys. Uh, And, oh, by the way, you want my last hot take? If the Phoenix Suns get the number one pick, and it's not the Cavs or the Knicks, the Phoenix Suns will not draft Zion Williamson at number one. They'll draft the kid from Murray State, Ja Monte. 
Yeah, you heard it here first. They'll take a point guard. They don't need Aiton and Williamson and Booker. They need Ja, Devin, and DeAndre. That's what they're going to do. Quote me on it, all right? Guys, thanks again so much for listening. I'll talk to you guys in like three or four weeks. Toodles and noodles, X's and O's. Bye-bye. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.